Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Uh, This is session two of uh, Healthy Sexuality, and... uh, I'm David. I'm a recovering sexaholic, and uh, you know, a couple things have uh, kind of popped up, and I'm not sure kind of where to go with it. So I'm going to ask our higher power to uh, let's start. Let's start this session with the uh, Serenity Prayer. Serenity Prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Amen. Um, I'm not exactly sure where to go with this. Uh, we, we talked about maybe opening it up for, for questions, or if people want to come up here and, and just share, uh, we can do that too. But uh, during the break, um, uh, at least two people came up with me with a uh, common question, and, and uh, so I thought I'd... I, I toss it out there um, because I had some experience, strength, and hope in this area. Uh, about a year and a half ago, um, maybe two years, um, my, my wife uh, works in a church environment. Uh, her senior pastor relapsed um, after 20 years in alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, all of a sudden it became really clear that... Uh, you know, this guy had been affecting our lives for a long time. He'd been living rent-free in our house for a long, long time. And, uh, and it occurred to me that, um, and, it, and it wasn't about him, but, you know, I saw some things going on in my, in my marriage that were disconcerting for me. And, uh, and so uh, I sat down and had, had a talk with my spouse. And... And said, "I'm concerned, and and here's why." And and one of the things we talked about was, um, as Marty as Marty talked about. Good, I'm glad you came back. Um, one of the things Marty talked about is, you know, at some point I had to talk to my spouse about sex. Yowie. Um, and as as a part of our discussion about what was going on in our, in our, in our marriage, um, you know, I had to say, you know, for me, it needs to happen a little bit more frequently than, it, it needs to happen on a regular basis. Like Marty, once a day would be perfect, um, uh, but I'm, that's just a joke. Um, trust me, it's really a joke, yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
daydream. It's a daydream. It's a daydream. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of the things I, I, I read in my my mother-in-law's sex talk—that's what she calls it, sex talk—and um, she she typically does a two-day over over the weekend retreat, and she, they call it sex camp. So, you know, our kids are going off to sex camp. And uh, <laughs> anyway, um, but what it talks about is that. You know, it, it is it, it is different mentally and emotionally for men and women. And, you know, one of the things I did when I was dating was, you know, we read that book, um, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And it's true. You know, it's it's really true. That, that was very helpful for me. Uh, but anyway, I had to, to confront my spouse and say, you know, it's we, we have two young children. It, it's We have to be very intentional if we're going to be intimate with each other because, when, do you, when is there time? And uh, so we've had, to, we've had to talk about that, and that meant me bringing, having the courage um, to, to state a, a, a want to my, to my spouse. And, uh, you know, I had always taken that approach, if, you know, if I, if I do all the things, if I run the vacuum, I've, you know, and, and trust me, um, I feel like that's something I need to do uh, to help out, and I do. Um, but it's it's not about mani- manipulation; it's about being a mutual a, a mutual thing. So I had to say, I need I need for us to be more regular about this. And uh, and she heard me. And uh, um, but again, I have to bring it up periodically because our you know, our life, is, it's, a, it's a family. There's things that are always changing. And so it's something I have to, I have to, to bring up. A, a couple of people have talked to me about, and, you know, I, I just want to throw it out there um, to see how people might respond. You know, a lot of us come, come into this, you know, damaged people. We were wounded in our childhood uh, by sexuality. People, adults, you know, in my experience, a teenage boy, um, who was inappropriate with me when I was eight and introduced me to pornography. Um, our, our, it's, it's not unlikely that our spouses or, or ourselves have been, the, have been the victims of sexual abuse and that have left unbelievable scars. And uh, how do we deal with that, you know, in our recovery? You know, how do we... Um, and knowing that that's there, uh, you know, how do we how do we start bringing this stuff into the light and and say, you know, perhaps, you know, we need help or you need help uh, to work through this for us to to have a healthy union. Two people came up to me in the in the ten minutes that we that that we broke and and shared those concerns with me. I'd be interested to hear what people have to say. Do, what pe- people's experience, strength, and hope have been in the area of healing from sexual abuse, uh, either partner or both. And uh, um, I'll throw that out there. Okay? Uh, Marty, recovering sex addict. Uh, along those lines, I feel like this is self promotion, but uh, there's going to be a breakout. Judson and I are going to be uh, leading on uh, sexual abuse. And uh, I can't find it on here right now, but it's going to be today like at 5.15. There's going to be two breakout sessions. One is going to be on um, 
healing from sexual abuse, and the second session is going to be uh, sexual abuse and its connection to sexual addiction. So there's going to be more information on that down the road, too. Just wanted to give you that uh, piece of information out there as well. So that's it. I think we can open it up to the, this is a panel discussion. Is that right? We can open it up to questions. And if anybody has any comments, feel free to come on up to the mic and uh, get, share your experience, strength, and hope as well. We'll try to keep it limited to you know a couple of two, two, three minutes per share. So let's open up. Anybody has any questions? Come on up. I'm Paul, grateful recovering sexaholic, and uh, I'm the opposite now. I've I've become totally sexual anorexic, and uh, I want to run from it. Uh, where it was consumed every minute of my life. Now, um, you know, my wife wants to be intimate, and I make the excuses. And uh, if anybody has any uh, hope and experience in that area, I would be gratefully appreciated. Thanks. Yeah, I I need to butt in. Um, I'm always uptight over the topic healthy sexuality for SA because for me it's healthier sexuality. This I'm damaged, and hopefully I'm going to become healthier over the years because. Those damages that happen from sexual abuse, from other issues, uh, they're there. My PTSD syndrome's there. You know, I get relief, I get help, but it's there. Um, My sponsor in AA would always remind me, Harvey, what's the big deal? Rabbits do it. I mean, we make this colossal issue over something that sometimes if it takes five to ten minutes, it's a long time. (laughs) There are these myths we don't talk about in the program. First of all, a great deal of us guys get off real fast. People don't talk about it. They don't get it very often. We don't get it very often. The body responds. And then the brain says, no, I have to do it like I used to see it in the pornos. Well, first of all, in the pornos, they were having little pipes coming out, squirting stuff. And women were having their throats numbed. You know, we have romanticized stuff that ain't there. And I have to be very careful for me to say, hey, I am an animal. I love that aspect of, hey, you know, the two sides. There's a part of me that's animal. I have to eat a few times a day. I have to go to the bathroom a few times. And sex, even though it is optional, and I've been on almost a two-year celibate period many years ago, 
even though it's optional, it's not necessarily what my body wants. It would like some every now and then. And so, I've had to, first of all, say, then what is it if I'm animal? Well, how do I transcend the animal? Not that my animal's bad, it's me. How do I transcend it? For me, it's by hitting my knees before I'm intimate with my wife. I hit my knees. Would be embarrassing a bit at first, but the hell with it. I hit my knees and I give it to God to protect me from having sexual fantasies while I'm intimate with my wife. Sexual fantasies have no place in my for me, this is all about me now. I'm not telling you the right way or the wrong way. It's not good for me to be delusional. It's good for me to be at the moment. Jess taught me some very practical things. He taught me to put my hand behind my wife's back and to feel God's energy go through my back into my chest, into her chest, out her back into my hand, and back again. Man, I'm a kindergarten. I know nothing about sex. I know a lot about lust and acting out and having sex with hundreds of people. But I really don't know anything about sex. I had to learn that when my wife said a certain thing she liked, she liked, that she liked it, and I didn't need to prove her different. <laughs> I had to accept that a certain, something like 45% of women do not get vaginal orgasms. They get clitoral orgasms. I had to accept that it doesn't matter what kind of stud I think I should be. It doesn't take real long once I do it. And accepting me as I am is, and not dissecting it afterwards as a performance has been very, very important. My wife says to me, Harvey, you could be replaced with a finger. <laughs> for clitoral manipulation. By the way, people aren't allowed to say this in the program. We're not allowed to talk about some families, some guys say they need uh, massage things, whatever. You know, People don't talk about it. It's a big secret in our fellowship. What happens in our bedroom? Well, we can't know what to do or how to do it or which direction if we don't talk about it, then I'm going to say as I end, a no-no. The no-no for me that you're not allowed to say is that our marriage, to so the day after we are sexually intimate, is much more relaxed. We're like two kids, two little puppies. I don't know why that is. It just is, and I can't be embarrassed about it. In my home, 
it took me a long time to know because I had killed my wife's libido by sexually abusing her for so many years. And uh, in my home, over the years, we realized my wife's cycles about a month, which makes sense because in that animal kingdom you have estrus. You know, it comes at a certain time of the month for women, especially when they ovulate, even when they don't ovulate. So there's a time that they, they want it, and a lot of times they don't know they want it. I mean, my wife won't touch me for a month. All of a sudden, she's patting me on the shoulder. Or, oh, what, what nice hair you have. I've had the same hair all month. Now, to me, if she gives me food on the plate, I think that's a signal she wants some tonight. But when I'm honest with myself, you know, it's about once a month. And for me, it's when I'm honest because I needed it twice a day with her. By the way, I can't have it once a day because that would be bringing my my stuff back. And guys who have these honeymoons and go wild on their honeymoons when they marry, and afterwards I say, be careful. <laughs> You know, there's just so many orgasms in a row a sex addict can handle for any length of time. Well, for me, it turns out to be about, when I'm honest with myself, every week and a half, every week. How do I know it? I start getting erotic dreams. That's how I know it. And together we have realized our frequencies. And I'm printing it up, but it has taken at least 23 years. Been sober now over 25. At least 23 years of arguing, of temper tantrums, of angers, of you name it. It's taken us a long time, you know. You people have a real advantage the younger mem- people in this fellowship. You could learn from some of our hard, hard, uh, hard knocks. Um, and so we have to have a schedule. We tried it for years and years where um, we had no sex for a couple of years almost, and then I, we only had sex when Nancy requested it as my amends to her. And then it drove, you know, she said, Harvey, you need to ask. And then I wouldn't be able to ask out of fear that the whole thing would start exploding out. So for years, I would ask only one time in a row, alternate it, and wait for her to ask the next time. And then I'd get pissed at her if she hadn't asked to. <laughs> and she got tired of my making hints. Nancy, I'm afraid I'm going to have a wet dream. Or Nancy, oh my God, I'm having dreams again or something. She got tired of that manipulation. And then she left it up to me. It took many, many years. Every now and then I say to her, Nan, I'm going to wait till you request the next time. 
And then I ask her sometimes, do you think lust was back in our marriage bed? There's sometimes I'm not sure. Not about my mind, but about my behavior. And she'll tell, you know, whatever. We will, married couples, help each other when we're sick, clean up each other's vomit, clean up each other's whatever, but when it comes to talking about sex, it's totally impossible. I mean, Mark... Marty and Dave just told my story. It is so hard to just sit down, like Marty and Dave said, and just talk about it. And it keeps getting better. It keeps getting better. And um, we're pioneers, and we, the more we talk about it out loud, this business of not being able to actually say what we do in a marriage bed to other people in the program is a real issue and eventually we'll be able to be explicit with each other about marriage beds and get feedback and compare and get our our group conscience over things and I you know I go on and on so uh thanks a lot for hearing thanks Harvey um just Paul, all I can share with you was Marty Sexaholic, by the way. Um, when I started reclaiming my own sexuality and restoring the sexual abuse that occurred in my life, I don't want to mention the book here due to our traditions, but I'm happy to share it with you afterwards. But what happens for me when I was talking earlier about how I was either sexually anorexic or a predator, and when I... And it, it, I I'll, you're going to hear me... I don't know if you'll hear me say this a lot, but this is my experience. The predator's the addict. I got him caged. I got this little kid over here, and the adult's in between. And the adult's got to parent this little guy up. And, and that, I can't go from 6 years old to 43 years old, and it takes some steps um, moving forward in this book that uh, my wife and I got. And I've done I've, I've If there's a book on sexual abuse, I've probably read it and done the experience. I've just really put a lot of work into healing in that area. And it's a common thing. And I, I hear a lot of guys, and some of the guys I sponsor will say, you know, I'm ready to be sexually been abstinence, and I'm afraid that the addict is going to come out, you know. And it takes time. And, and there are steps to go from wanting to be intimate to being intimate. You know, there's uh, the emotional connection. There's physical affection that occurs. Um, and the important thing for me is to maintain some kind of safety around that. Um, one of the things, my weakness right now is uh, we have scheduled after, I don't know how long, my wife and I have been married, close to 86 years this July. And um, I'm, clearly I'm being facetious, but uh, my weakness is that we are now starting to schedule too. Our, our counselor said, for spontaneity and desire to match up for two people with two small children is magical thinking. <laughs> and I said, well, there goes the monkey section. <laughs> Damn, I'm time to go to the burrito shop again. But um, it's true. And so she said, why don't you try scheduling? And she said, because what happens then is it takes the guesswork out of it for you. So what's occurring now, we've just been doing this a few weeks, what's occurring now is I, I'm going to be here all Saturday night as our schedule night, 
and I'm going to be here playing music, and she's going to be home. We knew it wasn't going to happen. And the weakness for me is uh, I've never said no. Well, that's, that's not true. About two years ago, I started saying no sexually. And I'm afraid that if I say no sexually, I'm not a man. Um, I'm not going to be enough. She's going to leave. And some of that stuff, as I trace it back, goes back to the sexual abuse for me. And I, I realize today I've got some, work, some more work to do around that. But the difference between me today and me when I first came in is I would have just wrote that off as I'm sick. And that's not true. There's a way to heal from this stuff. And I look at that, and I'm probably about six years old in that decision. And I don't want to bring that angry adolescent addict, and I don't want to bring the little kid to the bedroom. I want to bring this guy to the bedroom and, and be, to be sexual with my wife. So i got some work to do in that area. And so, you know, my wife and I talked about that recently. I said, you know, can I just... It, it, here's the difference. Is I used to go to my wife, and anything that was intimate with me, she had to listen because that's what intimacy was. And a counselor told me that sometimes my wife just wants to do the dishes and go to bed you know she doesn't want to have these so I'll go to my wife and say hey is this a good time I want to talk to you about something I learned about uh, about me and our sexual life you know and sometimes she'll say yes and sometimes she'll say no she happened to say yes and we talked about it and I realized very clearly it's not her I've got it and I look forward to that to, to growing that little guy up in that area so that's for my my sexual anorexia for me is about some is about some little kid that doesn't want to be sexual and he doesn't need to be sexual. I'm the guy that needs to show up in that relationship for that. That's just my experience with that. My name is Bill and I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, I'm a double winner. My wife's a double winner, and we're currently separated but trying to rebuild our relationship. And my question, what I'd like to hear people share about the experience, strength, and hope, is how do you know if there is lust in a sexual relationship with your partner, with your wife, or your partner, or your spouse? Uh, so if people could share about that, that would be great. Thank you. I'm Jeff Iyer, sexaholic who enjoys sobriety. Uh question I would have, and I've asked it before, and I got a little bit of an answer and dealing a lot better with it, is trying to differentiate the difference between lusting for my wife as, a, as an addict and true intimacy. Uh, that would be one, so if anyone could share on that. Uh, I don't have the problem with the kids and trying to schedule stuff uh, for us to be able to do that. Uh, the only thing I've ever really talked with my wife is after we went through a period of abstinence, I told her, I said, you know, it's okay to say no. I learned during that period of abstinence that I didn't have to have it, that sex was indeed optional, just like the promises tell us. And so I told her, it's okay to say no. But that's all I've ever really told her. I haven't really ever told her what my desires really are, and I, I really liked hearing that, and that was good. And uh, I can't talk about him. He left. Uh, but now I know who to blame for my employer uh, telling me I can only hang have four Viagras a month. Uh, but that, you know, bringing up the Viagra, uh, that brings up another whole issue because I told the wife one day, I said, well, you know, if you feel, I work third shift, you know, if you feel you might got some extra time in the morning when I get home, give me a call at work, maybe I'll keep the Viagra at, at, at home or at work and I can take it before I come, come home. Because on the bottle it says, you know, take on an empty stomach. Well, that's one after you know, quit eating about three or four hours beforehand and 
take it an hour before. Well, that's planning. To me, that's you know, lusting, planning you know, for it. And, and that's uh, what the wife had said, too. She said, well, uh, that's just sex then. So I'm really kind of really ta- torn between, you know, what is good, healthy sexuality, you know, what's lusting, and uh, the true intimacy. We've had some cases where it's been true intimacy, I believe, and it's really been great. So, if anyone has anything to share on that topic, it'd be great. Thank you. We'll, we'll, try, we'll see how this works, okay? We've, we've got a half an hour here, so um, just a couple things that came up. Um, you know, I, I just got this in the mail two days ago. I was down at my mother-in-law's last, uh, last week, and I, I, I sat down and talked with her. You know, it's, it's wonderful to be able to sit down with a mother-in-law and talk about sexuality. And... It's just, can you guys imagine that? It's, but it's, it's wonderful. Um, it's wonderful. Anyway, uh, so I got, this, I got this thing in the mail, and I opened it up a couple nights ago, and it really helps me to understand that, that it's important for me to be phys- visually attracted to my spouse. And I've been, I've been kicking myself for that. All, you know, she's attractive to me. You know, she's not a trigger. But she's attractive to me, and it's, that's okay. And um, I, f- I felt unburdened by, by just reading that comment. And the fact that I think about it, okay, I know when it's, you know, I know when I have to surrender it, okay, when I'm, I'm trying to relive it or whatever, I have to surrender that. But for me to have the thought that I'd like to be intimate with my spouse, that's, that's okay. That's, 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 how, that's, that's, that's how it works for me seems to me that it's a practical matter as we get older that, that some planning is going to have to be part of it because, uh, there are, thank goodness, there are drugs that, that can help us. And so it seems to me that it's going to have to be a joint uh, discussion with our spouse that, hey, I'm, you know, we are going to have to plan it because I need some, I need some help. And so that, that seems like a reasonable thing for us to be able to work out in our marriage. Um, you know, when it's, when it's lust, and I, I'll let somebody else talk about that one, but uh, for me, I know when it's lust. I mean, I don't have to have somebody, but, but if I'm concerned about it, then I have to talk to my sponsor about it, because obviously I don't, you know, as, as people have said, my, my brain is a dangerous neighborhood to go walking in alone. Um, <laughs> if it's something that I, I think I need to talk to my sponsor about, I do. And uh, and that really helps me get a get a sense of of whether it's lust or it's not. But generally, I know it's lust, and and you will too. Thanks. I'm uh, Josef from Sexaholic. To leave with my fear, I was uh, I know that I'm not allowed to use the microphone um, on on this day, and uh, I, I was told beforehand that I should do, and so I have a fear about not pleasing the conference and and not doing what I'm supposed to do and, and what I know I'm allowed to do. So I'm going to be true to myself and not use the microphone and, and ask forgiveness uh, and make amends to anybody who can't hear what I'm saying. Um, I came into the program 83 um, uh, during an 18-month separation from my spouse who, who found out I was a, an addict. And then during those 18 months, I learned that I didn't need sex. I could live without sex. And, and by the grace of God, that 
that that came back with me into the marriage when we when we when we reconciled and started working together, and it's still with us today that although I I know that I have an animal soul and a godly soul, and that as a man and this animal soul has physical needs, uh, I also know that I don't need to fulfill those needs to be a happy, healthy, fulfilled, emotional, present man with my wife. So the idea of, so for us, intimacy is now a natural progression of intimacy rather than, um, than, than any kind of innate physical need that I might have. That physical need, that animal soul is always there, but it doesn't always need the expression. It's expressed when God brings the intimacy of, of, of our relationship together. And, and I heard that it begins in the kitchen. And that's, that's for us, in our relationship, that's exactly what it is. Not necessarily the kitchen, but sex now is an, is an expression of the intimacy that we have with each other. Uh, and I'm, for, 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 I'm fortunate, I guess, that um, I, we don't have to plan it because things are still working. Um, and so it doesn't have to be planned that way. It, it works uh, as part... And, and, I, and I know that one of my earlier sponsors told me the difference between lust and intimacy is, is when I want to take, that's lust. And when I want to give, that's intimacy. Uh, and so... For, for, uh, and, and I don't... This, this monkey sex, <laughs> I, I don't identify with that at all because for me that would, for me that would feel like lust. Because for me, that, that is not, for me, that's not an expression of a relationship that feels like sex. So I just wanted to share that, that's where it is for us. One thing I, I also wanted to, to share is that when my wife and I started becoming intimate again, we discussed the kind of sex we were having, what we would do. Because there were things that we would do in our previous sex life before recovery that are just not okay. They are lustful, they are lustful acts. And they do not have to be done together for couples to experience intimacy. They were, they were things that, that are lustful. And I know that if I did those kind of things again, then that would be lust. Because they would be receiving, it would be for me, rather than an expression of intimacy uh, with us uh, uh, um, as a whole. So for me, there's never an expression of how frequently or, or how often. There's, there's, not a, there's not an understanding. I, I, don't feel, I don't feel that if we haven't had sex four times or one time, I don't, I don't count that because I'm fortunate with God's help to bring, the, to bring it back into my relationship. That doesn't really matter how many times a day or week or month. What I do feel is that with God's help and with continued work in the program and with therapy, the more intimate we are, the more we'll have sex. Not because we're having sex, just because we're intimate together. And so that's, and that's, that's the way that we approach it. So thanks for letting me share. Hi, I'm Dave uh, L. from Cincinnati. Uh, one of the last acting out experiences I had was an affair. Uh, I had been married 35 years, and this affair lasted about 18 months, and it was all about the sex. Uh, I had sex in cars and parks and stuff like that. I almost was arrested in one of the parks I got caught at. And I don't want to, at the time, I thought that was the greatest sex in my life. Uh, but it was it was empty, it was shallow, I was remorseful, I was guilty. Uh, and I know today, uh, 
in my sobriety, that's not what I need anymore. Uh, I know that I like the terms emotional intimacy and physical intimacy, and a marriage needs both of those. And I am so inexperienced and so uneducated about emotional intimacy. Uh, I was afraid of that. That's not something I could, I could give my wife or in our marriage uh, until I got sober. Uh, I can't expect, my perfect day might be exercising with some of my buddies in the morning on a Sunday, uh, coming home and watching a football game, uh, having my wife cook me dinner and expecting sex. <laughs> I mean, I can't ignore my wife all day long and expect to be physical at night, you know. I have to be there. I have to have some kind of emotional intimacy with her. I have to connect with her. And that's what I was always afraid of doing. Uh, now that's important. It's very important to me to do that. And in fact, the emotional intimacy is more important than the physical. Because if I have emotional intimacy, sometimes that's all I need now. And I can be very fulfilled. Uh, lust never fulfilled me. Uh, any lustful experience I had, I needed another one and another one and another one. And they were never enough. I can be emotionally intimate with my wife and I can be f fulfilled for many days and I can feel very good. So that's all I have to offer, but thank you. Just real quickly, Marty, sexaholic. Um, with regards to the lust versus uh, love, um, Lust kills love, but love also kills lust. I've come to experience that in my marriage and in my life with people. And so I like to think about if I'm taking. Um, with regards to the emotional intimacy, sometimes with an 8-year-old and a 5-year-old running around, <laughs> my wife working full-time, me working full-time, when we're sexual, it is a pathway to emotional intimacy. And... Um, where my wire got crossed was it had to we had to have all incredible emotional intimacy and then sex was okay but at this point in our lives sexual intimacy sometimes creates the emotional intimacy it's it, it it it's the other way you know and I had to be okay with that that at 43 years old with two kids who I love two cats a wife both of us with full-time jobs two houses were taken care of that it's going to have to be okay sometimes. And there's times when we, we, we long to be together and we haven't had a t lot of time. We go on dates and we plan dates and that, but sometimes there's this distance between us and when we connect sexually, we're closer. And then a lot of times, the other piece that I wanted to share that I learned, I've been reading this book called Passages about the difference between men and women as we grow older, and it's, they say that this woman talks about this relationship in the beginning, it's like a diamond, and we're down here, and in our 20s we're close, and we do everything together, and then in our 40s we're as far apart on the two ends of that diamond as we possibly can get, and that men are going through a midlife crisis, and women are waking up, and this lady calls it the pink house with the white picket fence syndrome, collapses, and they realize it was a hoax, and now they want to find themselves differently, and it's like, she says that the roles reverse. The men be, search for comfort and emotional security and the women uh, go for success. 
an achievement, and I, I can speak for myself, but that has been a big piece of our relationship. I'm the one that wants to talk before and after sex. She just wants to be sexual and shut the lights out and go to sleep. <laughs> so that's change. And it's really important to remember that the physiological changes in my life have a lot to do with my sexuality and with my wife's sexuality, you know? So, anyways, uh, I just wanted to say that, and then with the lust thing, is that, you know, the closer I get to God, the more I know who I am, and the longer I'm sober from lust, the more I know that it's loins versus lust. It, about year six, six and a half of being sober in this program, I started to get some real feelings of some strong sexual feelings that weren't attached with fear or shame. And I thought, what is this? And it, it was it was a healthy uh, sense of, of longing. It was in my loins. So that's what happened there. Thanks. I'm Ed. I'm sexaholic. Spider Jace, January 191. And um, you know, healthy sexuality is an unfolding process for me. Um, I know what lust-driven behavior is all about. And uh, some of what's already been said, lust destroys, lust kills love. Lust has nothing to do with intimacy. Lust is all about activity and intensity. And my relationship with my wife has nothing to do with the lust-charged escape that my disease always made possible. And I know today that if I don't feed the lust hunger, if I don't drink, I don't get drunk. Love is completely different. Love is about intimacy, real connection, and it includes a spiritual connection. And I think and I believe and I experience that my Maker smiles when my wife and I share. It's a worship experience. It's not just a physical activity. To be able to share at the kind of depth that I have the privilege to share today starts with talking. Talking at depth. Talking about what I'm afraid will happen. What I don't know might or might not happen. At 59, my physiological capacities aren't the same as they were when I was 18 and 20 and even 30 and even 40. But that's okay. My sexual expression is only a part of my sexual experience. The intimacy and the true union are the real substance of what my sexuality contributes to. I'm not an animal. I'm one of God's kids. And there's a distinct difference. That's my belief system, and it makes a big difference to me. I don't, I don't engage in estral cycle. My woman doesn't go into heat. She's a woman. And there's a dignity about that that's unlike what happens with the animals. Animals don't have a choice. They're driven by their instinct, 
and their designed responses to chemicals. I have personal experience and training to validate that. So I don't want to talk about myself as an animal. I have an option with my sexuality. Recovery enhances that. Before I got sober, I didn't know I had an option. And in fact, I didn't because I always got drunk. Phenomenon of craving was activated and I always went to an acting out episode that resulted in me hating myself, losing part of myself. Healthy sexuality and sexual expression in the confines of my marriage always enhances my sense of being. It heals me, it calms me, it brings me to a place of content. I can eat a good meal and I'm filled and I don't want to eat anymore. You know, when I'm behaving normally. And my sexual experience has some of those same con- connotations. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. I mean, I was married for almost 26 years uh, and I have two sons from that marriage. And uh, there's a lot of woundedness around that family uh, that continues even to this day. I've been married again presently for approaching three years. I assure you that my marital experience today is phenomenally different from what I knew before. Part of that is because I was sober before we got married. I didn't betray my wife. I didn't trash my wife. I was able to give up the good for the best. And the best is awesome. And it's getting better. That's my experience. There's joy in that. I don't have to be ashamed of seeing my wife in her nudity. It's an awesome and a privileged experience. I don't want to see another woman that way. I only want to see my wife that way. My eyes are for her only. That works for me. As I heard earlier this morning, lust is about the thought or the snapshot that I can't allow turn into a movie. If I take a snapshot and let it go to the movie, I get drunk. I'm so grateful this fellowship taught me that. Lust works on a different part of my brain. I recently read scientific documentation as a result of the medical technology that's available that's only been available the last 10 to 20 years. I'm a medical professional. I didn't get taught those techniques in my professional schooling. It's available now and they can document that lust activates one part of the brain. Loving expression between a marital spouse with their married spouse activates a different part of the brain. There is documented evidence that you can see the consequence and the effect of lust disease. It is a disease. And my disease is arrested as long as I don't feed it. I don't get cured of it. I still have the vulnerability to it. But my disease is in remission. I have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of a fit spiritual condition. And I know what fit spiritual condition is. When I'm restless, irritable, and discontent, that means I need to get busy working my program. The program that's laid out for me in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous that Sexholics Anonymous tells us to use. That's the instruction. That's the textbook. That's what works for me. 
And because of that, I have the opportunity to be a part of a beautiful, growing union with my wife and with my Creator. Thank you. I'm Alan. I'm a sexaholic from New York. Yeah, we have sexaholics in New York, too. <laughs> Thank you so much, and uh, thanks, everybody, for the share. Uh, I say that I'm a sexaholic and joke about it, but uh, I say it because that's what I need to be reminded every day. I'm a sexaholic talking about sex, like Harvey said. You know, that's a pretty uh, difficult subject. Um, I had monkey sex with my wife, I think, after about a year of sobriety. I felt so gross afterwards. I made a decision. I was not going to have sex with my wife again. Um, I was going to make love to her, and I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how to get there. So I realized that the only way for me to get there was to work my program, and that's what I still do today. I, I, that's all I do is work my program. What has transpired is truly amazing. Uh, I actually came in here thinking that I wouldn't need to hear anything because uh, the intimacy that I have with my wife is beyond belief. Uh, beyond my wildest expectations. I never thought it humanly possible, certainly for not a broken child as myself, to actually feel the love of another human being. To give love was was first thing that I didn't even know how to do that. Um, for the first time after uh, eight years in, this, in recovery and five and a half years of sobriety this week was the first time that I was able to receive love. I'd heard it spoken about many times. I didn't know what that meant. And it was the first time. Um, I don't have sex with my wife anymore. Um, if we're having sex and in the middle and she says, you know, I can see that she's just not in the mood and her back hurts, I'll, I'll pull out and say, do you want me to stop? And she goes, well, yeah. I said, okay. And I just go put on my underwear and go to sleep and that's okay. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't have willpower in that. Um, I just don't have sex with my wife anymore. And um, for me, sex is optional is before, during, and after the act is sex is optional. Um, it's always optional. Um, my wife calls me during the day, and like Harvey was saying, you know, the padding, and I can tell when my wife is in the mood. Um, you can call it what word you want. <laughs> I call it horny. That's the word that I use, and I start laughing, and she says, why are you laughing at me? And I just, you know, it's hilarious. Um, and I still have those fears of saying no. I have said no, rarely, but because um, she knows that I probably will not say no. Uh, I'm a sexaholic. But um, I've asked her not to tell me during the day when we call each other lunchtime and says, oh, I want to have sex tonight. I say, and I've asked her, please don't say that to me anymore. Uh, I can't handle that. You tell me you want to have sex tonight because sometimes she feels at that moment and then comes nighttime and she doesn't feel I don't understand that <laughs> and I read men are from Mars women are from Venus and I still don't understand I don't think they talk about it over there but uh, um, a woman comes to me and says she wants me be it sex or not she may want me to hand her a pencil um, woman gives me a time of day and says hello and asks me a question that is the same as asking, do you want to have sex with me, in my mind. So I can't be asked by a woman a favor. I, I, just, I, I just don't handle that well. And I said, you know, please don't ask me during the day that we want to have sex. Uh, when it comes, it comes. And, you know, she's been compliant with that. And that's been great. But the 
I think what we're talking about here is, is, is intimacy, and I found out for me to receive intimacy, for me to go, give intimacy, I had to be intimate with myself, and that is tough. Um, that is really tough, and, and I'll just end off with this. Um, recently doing my fifth step, my sponsor asked me to write my sexual ideal at the end of you know the sexual part of step four. I couldn't write it. And it was only a few weeks ago. And finally I wrote it out, and I wrote out that I only want, I want to uh, confine all my sexual um, activities to be limited to my wife. And after writing that, I realized that that's the essay sobriety definition. And he says, okay, that sounds great. Now, can you write your sexual ideal? <laughs> and um, I couldn't. And I wrote a little more, a little more of that, and he realized that he just couldn't get past that. He says, okay, let's move on. That's all what I was talking about. I didn't understand what he was saying, and only listening to this, I'm realizing there's a whole new part. You know, I always think, oh, finally, I got it, man, you know. No, I, I don't got anything. Um, and I just find that just keep working the recovery, keep working my recovery, not my wife's recovery. I tried that too. That didn't work. Uh, keep working my recovery. Um, God brings me to places, just like I was reading today in the vision to you, is this I'm up to, is the fellowship that I crave. This is what I always craved, to give love but to be loved. And I'm getting that. First I got it from God, which was huge, because I never thought that was possible. And now I'm getting it from another human. And the giving part, I always thought I was unworthy, so therefore I'm shameful and guilty for what I've done, so it was easy to give it because I don't deserve to receive anything. Now I'm just starting to receive, and it's scary as hell, um, but it's, it's coming, and, and, I, and I applaud you for talking about this subject, because it, it's huge, and I'm sorry, I have a big mouth like Harvey. Uh, I'll end with this. My sponsor told me, being triggered by a beautiful person, and I say person because I know everybody has different triggers, and maybe even person isn't part of that triggers, is okay, it's not a sin. You know, that's not a sin. That's not lost. It's what I do with it. Anyway, thank you. Thanks, Alan. We have about uh, five minutes left, so I'll be extremely brief. Um, my name's Mark. I'm a sexaholic. Come on, Mark. Um, and uh, I, I am a babe in uh, this uh, fellowship. Um, I have uh, been in the fellowship for only uh, six and a half uh, months. I've been uh, sober for seven months. You can do the math. Um, I, I, was, I, I had the same thinking in my head. I had to be sober before I uh, joined the fellowship. Um, and I'm here in, in the fellowship because I want recovery. Um, it's not about uh, sobriety for me. I, I want recovery. And part of that recovery that, that I need is um, I struggle. I, I have uh, the sex addict on one side, and I have the sexual anorexic on, on the other side. And they are uh, screaming at me uh, to do things that I, I don't want to do constantly. Um, and I can clearly uh, tell the uh, difference between the two of them and, and when they're uh, raging. And when I came into this program, I was desperately looking for, for help for, um, for my anorexia as well as my, my addict. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, I didn't see a lot of that uh, anorexic um, uh, help here. So the first thing that clicked in, in my mind and in my head is, well, when I start working through the steps you know, um, for, for my addiction, I can uh, go ahead and uh, work on, on the steps for my anorexia as well. 
And so, you know, step number one, I'm powerless over my anorexia. Um, you know, uh, steps uh, two and three, I, I need my higher uh, power uh, to help me uh, through it. You know, uh, step four, you know, here's how the anorexia has uh, played itself out, out in my life. You know, uh, step uh, five, here, here are uh, my character uh, defects, you know, that, um, uh, that result uh, around that. And so I, I've been applying those steps. Um, more than likely, I'm going to uh, go back through the uh, steps all over again and, and see if, you know, um, I, I can get uh, some more uh, understanding about how to apply the, the steps to, to anorexia. But my higher power has been there. Little by little, you know, he's been uh, sharing uh, with me um, how to, uh, to deal with it. And many of the uh, things that my higher powers uh, shared with me that I thought was, you know, fantastic and, and a secret are the very things that I've heard in this uh, meeting. So, you know, our higher power is out there and, and he is uh, trying to heal um, all of us. And with that, I pass. Hi, I'm Steve. I'm a sexaholic uh, from New York. Um, and I made notes, so it'll go very quickly. Um, uh, I want to thank uh, you guys uh, for your presentation. Uh, it was uh, really helpful to me. Um, uh, the first thing I wrote down is uh, to go home and look for a good uh, burrito shop. <laughs> um, one of the things I, I realized that while I was listening to you guys talk is um, part of the talk was asking my sex for my, my sex for my wife for sex, and you know it was easy to, in the addiction. I could ask someone else's wife for sex, but I you know I never thought about it with, you know, doing that with my own wife. So yeah, that was number one on, on my list. And uh, as far as the um, as far as the um, anorexia is concerned. Um, I, I think the moments of anorexia in my marriage, um, I, and I thought about this carefully, have been um, because of expectations. And whenever there's an expectation, there's a resentment waiting to happen. So, uh, and that resentment um, generally leads to using sex as, an, as a weapon. When, you, when, when I use sex as, or my wife uses sex as a weapon, we become anorexic. Um, so it's a dangerous place to be in. And then finally, the two last things I'd like to leave with are in the white book, um, uh, at the end of the, the um, solution, um, it says um, we were making the real connection. We were home. Um, and I know that refers to the meeting, and I know it refers to the program. But when I'm making the real connection with my wife, I'm home. I'm where I belong. Um, and uh, it came to me, so I think it was something uh, Alan just said, um, the words of John Lennon, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. Um, it's, it's about giving, it's not about taking, so um, thank you guys. Hi, my name is Jim, sex addict, sexaholic, also from the New York community. Uh, very much appreciate and identify with what's been said here today, especially the notion of intimacy for me is that my sexuality and my spirituality are intertwined, uh, as Marty said, like a rope. And for my wife and I, uh, it's like a rope that connects us because it is about communication. Uh, two kids, 10 and 13, two careers, uh, and my wife, uh, with a now recovering from a, from a long illness, uh, yeah, 
spontaneity, very, very difficult. Uh, and when we do manage to have intimacy, which is uh, like a sine wave, sometimes it's frequent, sometimes it's very infrequent. Um, but when afterwards, what we always say to each other is, why don't we do this more often? <laughs> uh, and I realize that um, it's fear that often uh, we have to look at, I have to look at my own fears, uh, the fear of being intimacy, and that is what stands sometimes between us, uh, my fear of being completely present uh, and uh, offering and giving the love that I need to give to her uh, and asking for what I want, knowing I might not get it, uh, but owning it, uh, owning my own sexuality and my own spirituality. So uh, I think this has just been a great topic, and I'm so glad to be part of this fellowship and part of this group. Thank you. Uh, Marty Sexaholic. Um, thanks, everybody, for sharing. I, I really just wanted to kind of drop the ball and run and hear what you guys said. And you guys really picked the ball up great. And I got a lot of good, uh, important information and a lot of healing myself today. So um, they specifically gave us an extra 45 minutes or hour after this because they thought this would be a heated topic. No pun intended. Until um, 12.30. So um, let's show... Uh, sign of hands for those who want to continue on. If people have more comments for the 15 minutes to half an hour, if you're interested in that, raise your hands. Um, if not, we'll close. Okay, it sounds like uh, I'm seeing hands flying all over. Let's raise your hand if you want to continue with it. Okay, looks like it's time to close. Um, well, I want to give you one more quick shot to come on up, and then we'll close after your comment uh, with with the uh, Lord's Prayer. Brett R. Sexaholic Peoria. Uh, my, my comment is just that I'm, I'm really uh, blessed to hear that uh, healthy sexuality is not an oxymoron. Thanks. Dave Sexaholic, we're going to stand and close with the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to read our disclaimer. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve your best source for experience, strength, and hope from the SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choose either monthly or a one-time donation. Music was provided by Matt P. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.